Hey y'all, it's your girl Zaria, aka Black Phoebe Hello, and I'm back with another podcast. You guys, y'all don't understand my pain right now, and let me tell you why. I recorded this podcast the day before yesterday, yesterday, and now I'm doing it again for the third time because it kept messing up my audio. When I recorded on Saturday, I noticed that my um my mic was distorted, so I thought that my mic was messed up. So what I did was I tried to record without the mic, and I realized that it's my computer. And remember I said in my previous podcast, I couldn't do any of my podcasts because my computer screen was messed up. So I paid 700 at the episode to get my computer fixed, and something's wrong with my audio, well, my microphone, my internal microphone. But I'm going to do this one more time, y'all. I'm going to do this one more time. I... I give up. I ain't go. I I gave up. But we are gonna go through this one more time. I literally said the same podcast for two times right now. But since I watched a documentary yesterday, I feel like I can get more insight now. So I'm gonna do this third time a charm, and we're gonna do it. So I would like to start off saying I hope you guys been good. Whoever's listening, I hope you guys had a good uh weekend. I hope you guys have a good week and a good Thanksgiving. So let's start. I, I just, I, I'm just all upset that I lost those two podcasts, but let's talk. So I want to introduce this podcast into season two. And I said on my podcast, I'm going to be versatile and I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of things on my podcast. It's not just going to be one subject. A lot of people like to focus on true crime, but I feel like true crime is oversaturated. And a lot of people are detached from reality and they're very desensitized. And they just be like, when I was researching this certain person I'm going to talk about, a girl was on YouTube doing her makeup while talking about the attempted murder of one of his victims that survived. And I commented, I was like, why are you doing your makeup? Like, I feel like doing your makeup, talking about people's murder is already wacky and weird. But, like, if you're going to do your makeup, I feel like you just should just be, like, talking about something else that isn't describing the attempted murder. But she was literally describing the attempted murder while fucking literally shadowing in her eyes. I'm like, girl, all right. So when I talk about true crime, I talk about something I feel like I can relate to, something that I experienced, especially with this case. I definitely can relate to this case, and I can, like feel the pain of these victims because I am black, I have done sex work, and I've lived in that area where he was killing. So, I just want to go into this thoroughly and give my experience on this situation. So, I'm gonna, like I say in my podcast, you guys, I would try to be as much thorough as I can with talking to my listeners because, you know, not everybody is from Los Angeles and I want to you know, make it, I want to give you an image while we talk. Like, I want you to picture what I'm talking about. And I'm going to also drop links in the cap, I mean, in the bio of this podcast so you guys can go research these certain things. So, like I said, you guys, I did not grow up technically in Inglewood. Like, I've always been in Inglewood because my father grew up in Inglewood. But I grew up on Slauson, the cross streets, Slauson and Western. 
And like I stated in my previous podcast, I've said that Los Angeles has a whole bunch of, you know, major cross streets, such as Crenshaw, for Lawrence, uh, figure like I think Figueroa is that Figueroa is a long street like Figueroa, just certain streets that are famous for just going into multiple cities, which is like Crenshaw. Crenshaw goes into a whole bunch of cities. This is a street that is famous for a lot of things, like you guys like Nipsey Hussle made it you know more known or whatever you know. Not he to make it more known, but you know what I mean. Like Nipsey Hussle made it more known to non non-LA natives but obviously I'm not gonna say that because LA people gonna get mad at me I ain't saying like that (laughs) but it's really crazy it's really crazy so western is also a long street that goes through multiple cities too so somebody could be like oh I live like when people in LA when we talk about certain things of LA we be like oh like I live on Crenshaw and 40 say, oh, I live off of Crenshaw and this. I live off of Crenshaw and Hyde Park. Like, like we be saying that because Crenshaw is a long street. So, I live a few blocks down from this person who is Lonnie Franklin Jr. Lonnie David Franklin Jr. Lonnie Franklin Jr. was the, was the person who was arrested and convicted for being the Grim Sleeper. Uh, the Grim Sleeper, the reason why they gave him the name Grim Sleeper is because they said that he slept for a 14-year time period. I think, I believe, 14 years, if I'm not if I'm not being factual. They said 14 years, which is untrue. That man never slept. LAPD just didn't give a crap. But also, I'm not going to only talk about him. I'm just going to talk about, like, the other serial killers that were killing in South Los Angeles. So, Lonnie lived on 81st and Western. I lived on 55th and Western. Western, it's the, the main part that people really, like, think of when they think of Western is, like, this Nudie Fox, the hotel that's across the street from it. There's, um, there's the Slauson Swap Me. The Slauson Swap Me is on Slauson and Western. There's just a whole bunch of things that are on this street i grew up on the street i walked down this street before as a you know as a child my sisters have walked down this street alone it could have easily been one of us it could have easily been one of us but i can't say it could have easily been one of us if he was the type to forcefully kidnap he was just the type to lure because my my grandmother already always told us never to get no man's car and always install fear in us and we weren't running the streets like that anyway. So, yeah, my, my grandma had us in the church despite the fact that we lived in this area. So, back to the Grim Sleeper. So, let's give... Okay, let me just give y'all a little synopsis. I'm going to discuss Lonnie Franklin Jr., how his murders were tied to other people in South Los Angeles. I'm going to discuss, like talking about how war has effect on these people. I'm going to discuss how, I'm going to discuss, sorry, I'm going to discuss, like, the crack epidemic in Los Angeles. I'm going to discuss 
how sex crimes aren't taken as serious. I'm going to discuss LAPD's history with us and like sex workers and people who live in Los Angeles. I'm just going to discuss a whole oh, disarray of everything. So, Grim, the Grimsley, let's start off with the Grimsley, just, you know, introducing you guys to him if you're not familiar with his case. A lot of people are like, oh, black serial killers exist? Yes, black serial killers exist. Okay, so the Grim Sleeper, Lonnie David Franklin Jr., better known as the Grim Sleeper. Oh, I was right about the 14-year. So it says Franklin earned his nickname when he appeared to have taken a 14-year break from his crime from 1988 to 2002. So now let's give a point of view. We're in July 2010. It's July 7, 2010, I believe so. July 7, 2010, I was going into seventh girl. No, I was, yeah, I was going into my eighth grade year. I believe so. Yeah, I was going into my eighth grade year. That was the summer after my seventh grade year. So I was like 12, 12 years old. So my dad like takes me to this spot and I'm like, it's like swarmed with police. It's swarm is blocked off there's something going on my dad's calling my mom on the phone my mom's like why you got her over there he was like she needs to notice this is re- this is resourceful serial killer in the hood serial killer in the hood he kept saying this and i'm just like i wasn't interested and that's because i was a child i was like literally a child at the time but as i studied the case more and more as i got older and i started really dealing with the persecutions that come as a black woman I started to feel it more. I started to understand it more. And I was like, this is crazy. Until I really watched that documentary. I'm going to list this documentary because I'm going to reference this documentary throughout my podcast episode. It's called um, The Tales of the Grim Sleeper. It was created by Nick Broomfield, if I'm not mistaken, you guys. The Tales of the Grim Sleeper. It's such a good documentary. It honestly... It's one of the best documentaries. Like, and I think it's because it's so real. Like, these other documentaries, it just, they don't hit. They don't hit. These, this one really hits, and, I'm, and I might be being biased because everywhere in that area is because I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I, I know that. But it's also, I think it's also just because it's, it, maybe I do resonate more with a black woman's pain. Because seeing the black woman go through that, I don't know. I don't know. So, my dad had me over there when he got arrested, Lonnie Franklin Jr. They had the street cut off, so I couldn't really see, like, anything going on. They started, they started, you know, taking out everything out of his house, trying to find evidence. They arrested him in front of his house and everything. So, let's get, let's break down about Lonnie Franklin Jr., so y'all already know, with the whole war on drugs, Nixon, the whole theory that Nixon incorporated, you know, these drugs into lower class communities in Los Angeles really took the hit of it. You know, it was a lot of things going on with gangs in Los Angeles, with situation going with, with the rising of the Crips and the Bloods and everything going on. It's just... It was a lot going on in Los Angeles. And like I said, I speak from, I always try to say I speak from experience. My grandmother, who was my mother's mother, was murdered. 
I was a nosy child. I could not mind my baby. I had a curious George little, I could not keep my hands off of nothing. Y'all don't understand. I was really a baby kid. I really could not keep my hands off of nothing. I, I just really couldn't keep my hands off of nothing. Like, so I found my grandmother's death report. Like, I found the police report. It said the victim was rolled up in a rug and she was stabbed. And my mother has a different story of, I don't know, my mother experienced that as a child and she was raised by her mother, which is her grandmother, and I was raised by my grandmother, who was my great-grandmother. I, I, was, I was raised by my mom's mom, mom, basically. <laughs> and, you know, that death really hit her. I experienced a lot of things due to death, like, due to murder. So I, I understand how it feels to lose to someone, lose someone to murder. My brother was recently murdered in 2021. My ex was murdered in 2020. It's, you know, I, I've been hearing about people getting murdered a lot my whole life. My cousins, like a lot of my cousins, a lot, like one of my cousins got murdered and like crawled to my grandmother and died in his hands. Like, like, Living on that street was rough, okay? Living on that street was rough. And it's crazy because I don't look like what I've been through, but I've been through some things. It it was bad. Like, really bad. Like, people don't really think that I just wasn't <laughs> going through things. Like, it, like, it's really, it's really crazy. And it's, it's, <laughs> and just think about it. That street was really, really dangerous. That street was something else. It, <laughs> I've I seen a lot. Like, I seen my cousin's ear get bit off. Like, I didn't see it. Oh, let me not do that. Let me not cat. Let me not act like Soldier Boy. I saw the blood on the ground when my cousin's ear got ripped off by someone that we knew. He was off of some strong drugs, and he came up to my cousin, demanding to like they're saying that he owe him some money and he he bit my cousin ear off like Mike Tyson like <laughs> people think because they see my life of whatever my father worked for that they don't realize that I've really been through some things like I've seen a lot in my life that I shouldn't have seen as a child that could really mess you up you know it's, it's a lot. Like, I've seen a lot. And thankfully, I had my mother snatch us up out of that house or that area when my grandmother passed. Because it was rough living on that street. But the thing about how the Grim Sleeper was killing people who were close in age to my sister, it could have easily been us. But my sister would have never got in nobody's car. It's, I remember my sister was approached by someone. And it was a man who offered to give her a ride home or something. And she said no. And who could have known? It could have been Lonnie Franklin Jr. Who knows? He definitely targets black women. He had a type. Who knows? You really don't ever know. We could have. I drove down that street western a hundred times. We probably could have bumped into this man. We've seen. We, there's no way in hell we have never seen this man before. If he was always walking down western and he was always in the area and we lived on this street. Oh, yeah. He definitely has. We have definitely encountered him before. But I have, I have had multiple people 
tell me that their one of their family members have escaped him. Like, oh, he almost killed my friends. I, oh, he almost did this. Oh, my friend knew him. Because Lonnie Faith Jr. worked multiple jobs. He worked for a trash company. He worked for the police. He worked for the police department. And that's also why I think the police ignored what was going on. It was a lot of things. He had a lot of jobs that could, especially the trash job. I really wish that the trash, I really wish that LAPD took black woman death serious, that they would have tried to at least see if there were some remains in that land landfill where he worked at the drug. I mean, um, the, the garage, uh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> the trash company that he worked for, I really wish they would have tried to look deep into it. They could have gave some people, they could have gave some people comfort knowing that they have their family members remains now, but they don't give a shit about black women, especially sex workers. So let's get back into this. I brought up the war on drugs. That was the era that a lot of people were, were doing on were on drugs and all these different things. So there was a lot of serial killers in Los Angeles at this time. A lot of black men killing sex workers. So right here, reading over the years, it was found that the serial killer Lewis Crane committed at least of the two of the so-called South Side Flare murder. At first, before they were. They were calling Lonnie Franken Jr. the South Side Slayer, but it the South Side Slayer could have been uh, a name for anybody because it was a bunch of black men killing sex workers at that time. So they were getting all these murders mixed up, like all these murders mixed up. So at at this point, this could have the, the South Side Slayer could have been anybody. It's just a name. It's a name for anybody. And they also said they called him the Strawberry Murder. And Strawberry at that time was someone who was a sex worker, someone who was changed sex for money. I heard Strawberry growing up. And also at that time, when Lonnie Franklin Jr. was killing these people, uh, Richard Ramirez, the serial killer, if you guys are not familiar with Richard Ramirez, Richard Ramirez was a serial killer who was killing in California, but he was killing in the valley. He was killing in the valley. So they was focusing on him because he was killing a certain demographic. He was killing people, white people who had some kind of middle class, white people, middle class, non-black people with a certain income because he was stealing from these people. And he also said that Richard Ramirez admitted that most of the most of the houses that he broke into, the doors weren't even He just walked his ass in. Because at that time, they thought they were safe because they lived in a nice neighborhood. They thought they were safe. But Richard Ramirez went up to that neighborhood. Richard, honestly, a lot of serial killers know who to choose as a certain demographic. Like, if we're going to bring up Jeffrey Dahmer, some people argue different things. They say Jeffrey Dahmer definitely targeted black and brown people because he knew that that's who he was going to get away with because nobody cares about black and brown people. But then some people argue that because he was a registered sex offender, because he was a registered sex offender, they were trying to say that he had no choice. That's who he was around. He was around, he was, he had no choice but to live in a low income area. And that's who was around him. So he had no choice but to kill them. So honestly, I can see both sides being true. That is who he was around. 
and I also believe he do tar- he did target black and brown people. But in the beginning of his spree, he was killing white males. But then he started killing like non-black people. I mean, he started killing non-white people. He started killing black men, and then he was he killed one Hispanic dude, and then he killed this uh he Native American dude. Oh, well, sorry, American American child. The dude, the, the child. He was a child, uh, and then he killed like you know, this little 14-year-old boy who the police allowed to go back to him because of homophobia. So I guess we can't argue that most serial killers do choose their demographic that they want to target. When it comes to like serial killers like Ted Bundy, they obviously do choose their demographic. Ted Bundy was killing people who look like an ex-girlfriend, they say, with dark hair, darker, like dark straight dark or brown hair but the women he was killing people care because he was killing white women in general they was trying to catch Ted Bunny no matter what but anyways let's get back into Lonnie Franklin Jr. so I'm gonna read more so Lonnie Franklin Jr. was born on August 30th 1952 and March 28th 28 2020 when he passed away so he was given a dishonorable discharge from the United States Army in 1975 after being released from prison on a convention, a convention of gang raping a 17-year-old girl in West Germany. Here's where I said we're going to talk about sex crimes not being taken serious. If sex crimes were taken more serious, a lot of serial killers would not have killed as many people as they did. They could have saved people. And a lot of a lot of serial killers had already been registered as a sex offender. Jeffrey Dahmer was already a registered sex offender when they allowed that fourteen year old boy to go back to him, and he was able to kill. He was a registered sex offender. They could have easily searched that up and arrested him. They didn't care. Police don't care. John Wayne Gacy was a registered sex offender. He was arrested for sodomy. They could have really prevented, and also a lot of these people, war, and this is where war has effect on these people. I don't know if people who are naturally narcissistic and naturally so sociopaths or or psychopaths go into the war because they know they can get away with a lot of things because the U.S. Army covers up a lot, but. Like I said, Lonnie Franken Jr. went over to Germany raping people. Jeffrey Dahmer was assaulting people in the army. All these people, all these serial killers either had two things in common. They were a sex offender already registered, or they had experience with the army. Richard Ramirez, he seen his, I can't believe if it was his uncle or his cousin, I can't remember, his family member was showing him pictures of beheaded women, beheaded Asian women, and showing him, like, sexually assaulting these women when he went to war, and showed it to a young Richard Ramirez, which already fucked his up mind. Uh, now he has an obsession with killing people. Like, it, it's war has an effect, and all these different things have an effect. <clears throat> so... When Lonnie Franken Jr. was in prison for, you know, raping the girl in Germany, he was released. And when he was released back to the United States, they didn't make him register as a sex offender. He could have been registered as a sex offender. 
And honestly, since he knew that he did that to, uh, I'm a, I don't know exactly if the victim that he assaulted in Germany was white. I'm just assuming the the, the victim actually testified him years later when he got caught for the murders and testified him testified against him in court. I'm so glad they have it, but I don't know what the person looks like. They didn't give any pictures. I'm sure they didn't want their identity to be revealed for safety. But I, I don't know. I'm pre-assuming, and I might be bad for pre-assuming, but I'm assuming she's white. I mean, like I don't know if he would if he would have raped somebody in Germany, a black woman in Germany. I don't know. I'm assuming she's white. So he obviously. He obviously knew that he had to come back to the U.S. and do his crimes to someone who would go unnoticed. So he gets back to Los Angeles, right, you guys? He gets arrested for, like, petty crimes, basically, like, stealing cars, stealing car parts. Those were the records that he had. And the <clears throat> so when he started killing, it was the 80s now. So, they say one of his first murders was around 1980, like, 18, 1984, around that time. I believe he'd been killing. I believe he'd been, he been killing the moment he got back to, back to California, and they just didn't care because, you know, it's black women. And right here it says, right here, I was right, in 1989, Franklin was convicted of two charges of theft, one charge of misdemeanor assault and one charge of battery. He is he served time for one of the theft charges. In the mid nineteen eighties, the Los Angeles LAPD became aware of a parent a parent chill killer targeting black women who were chronic drug users and street sex workers. The killer dubbed that the Southside Slayer was believed to be responsible for stabbing and strangling at least thirteen women between nineteen eighty three and late nineteen eighty five. So like I said, there was a lot, a lot of people killing at that time. And I'm going to read them to you. These serial killer names are Michael Hughes, Daniel Lee Siebert, Chester Turner, Ivan Hill, Louis Crane, and there's another one, too. I, I didn't bring up his name. All these people were targeting black sex workers. Michael Hughes is actually still in prison serving his life sentence. He um he was in Santa Quentin at the same time the Grim Sleeper was and the Grim Sleeper died in twenty twenty. So I don't know. I wonder if they ever had any interaction. They was killing people. But he he the Michael Hills was killing people. He was killing people and he was killing people and dump and dumping their bodies down the street from where I live at. I live down the street from Jesse Owens Park. Jesse Owens Park is also on Western, y'all. That's my thing. Like, what they, all these people were kind of targeting that Western area. It's like, it was very hard to try to discriminate who's the killer when it was so many murders going on. But what made Lonnie Franklin Jr. stand out is that he was shooting some of his victims with a gun with a twenty five caliber gun. This this Michael Hughes person, Michael Hughes serial killer, he was strangling. Right here, like I said, she was considered at the time one of his victims, she was considered at the time to be a victim of the unidentified serial killer known as the Southside Slayer, later dubbed as the Grim Sleeper. 
later identifies Lonnie David Franklin Jr. He is still in prison. He also killed Brenda Bradley, who is a niece of the former Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley. If y'all not familiar with Tom Bradley, Tom Bradley was the first black mayor of Los Angeles, and he was the longest mayor of Los Angeles. He served 20 years, but he retired because of the flack he was getting from the O.J. Simpson trial and also also from the riots. Honestly, I might be wrong. He he actually retired before the O.J. Simpson um, trial, but he retired. He retired from all the the things that happened in the 1992 riot. People were getting on his head about it, so that's also a reason why he retired. The O.J. Simpson trial happened in the same O.J. Simpson trial that happened in 1994. Not the trial, but the murder. The murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. That happened in 1994. The trial was 1995 to, like, 1996. Because the riots was around like March nineteen ninety two, I believe, so around that time. And he killed her October fifth, nineteen ninety two. Crazy. So right here, like it says right here, multiple serial killers. The murders of Judah Smith, Cynthia Walker, and Latanya Johnson all committed with a nine M pistol in the nineteen eighty eight were also being investigated by the South Side Slayer Task Force. They they arrested, but then again, they arrested a sheriff. A sheriff, Detective Ricky Ross, was arrested for the murder after being found with drugs and a sex worker in the vehicle, and he had the gun. So at that time, a lot of people were taking out their anger and on sex workers. They were murdering sex workers. It was a lot of serial killers going on. But what tied Lonnie Franklin Jr. to certain victims it was he was killing, killing the victim with a twenty point five caliber firearm. So it's kind of hard to discriminate who was killing at that time, but that was the thing that uh, kept him different from the other serial killers. His M.O. was mainly, you know, shooting and then sexually assaulting. Um, but one of the victims that was like a younger girl, they said he killed her and she they said she was strangled. So maybe it depended. Maybe it depended. Depended. But let's talk about LAPD as well. There is a woman named Margaret Prescott. If I'm saying her name wrong, I apologize. Margaret Prescott was this woman who she immigrated. She immigrated from the Barbados to the United States, and she is a powerful woman. That's all I can say. She, when she realized that so many women were being murdered, she founded the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders. She was trying her best to trying her best to like let the police and alert the police that this was going on. But the police, if like I said in the documentary, they showed her her footage of her being in 1980, literally advocating for these women. And the police were telling her like, "Why does it matter? He just kill. He just killing prostitutes." It don't matter. 
He's just killing, like, they do not care about black women. When it comes to us, they do not care. They, LAPD has a long history of things. Like, they really did not care. They were telling him, I mean, telling Margaret that it don't matter. And at that time, of like, there was a such thing as NHI that they use in the police department, which is called No Humans Involved. They were referring sex workers to NHI, saying that they their lives don't matter, saying that their lives don't matter. And it also was referred to, like, black men. They, just, they even say they didn't care about black people in general. But one thing that I love in that in that documentary is when Mayor when Mayor Villaragosa Villaragosa, I think I'm sorry, Villaragosa. When Mayor Villaragosa announced that there was a serial killer in Los Angeles or they that when they caught him, when they said when they announced that they caught him, Margaret takes the microphone and she's like, Hold on. We been trying for the past twenty years to tell y'all there is a murderer. There is a murderer. There's a serial killer. There's someone who is killing these women. You guys ignored us, and you want to parade. You want to parade and act like you did everything to try to catch him. Y'all turned y'all back on us. Y'all told us that they these women didn't matter. You told us that they didn't care. I love that scene. I live for it. I. It makes me feel strong. Like she's really a strong black woman. Like I, I love that. I love that scene because it's about Mayor Villaraigosa's face and that scene. His face looks so like it was hard to explain. You know, how, like you just like mm, you know you're wrong kind of face. <laughs> it just says right here. Okay, it says by January 1986, 15 murders have been linked to the case. More detectives were added to a joint LAPD County Sheriff's Department investigation, which has been known as the Southside Slayer Task Force. But by 1986, the case was still under investigation. And that's what it said right here. It says, uh, yeah, it says, Christoph formalized her group of activists as a community group called the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Murders. And in 1986, and in March 1986, the Los Angeles City Council increased the reward money they were offering on the killings from 10000 to 25000 So, let's go, let's go now. Let's talk about this. So, what happened was, they call him the Grim Sleeper because they say that he slept. But when I research, I see a lot of black women saying he never slept. He was still assaulting women. He was still assaulting no sex workers on the street. He might have not been using the gun, but he been he was he was definitely still killing people. And I remember when they started putting out the post boards of him. What happened was it took them twenty years to release that there was a serial killer. It wasn't public knowledge. It was just things that people would talk about and be like, "This is what happened. This lady's daughter's missing. This obviously a serial killer." People in the hood would talk about it, but as far as it being public knowledge to other people outside of Western in that area, people didn't know. So I remember it. It was they released those like 2007, and I remember as a child seeing them everywhere because I lived on that street. 
I remember seeing them. Like I remember seeing the book. I remember one time I looked up. I was on, I was on Western and Martha the King, and Western Martha the King leads all the way down to like the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall, and I think maybe we was coming from that area. And I remember pulling up and seeing this big old post board. And I honestly might be wrong about what street I was on, but I think I remember being on that street. Just because I think they would put like several posters on Western just because it was that area where he was killing. I remember seeing it and thinking like, damn, I really wish I could find him. $500,000 is a lot of money. Like, that's a lot of money. I remember thinking, dang, I really wish I could find him. <laughs> and honestly, I could have really found him. I could have really found him. He literally lived down this off the child i know i'm being dramatic but he literally lived down the street from me like he literally lived down the street from me which is crazy it's really crazy and five hundred dollars five hundred thousand dollars is a big reward y'all they didn't catch him until three years later like i said when my dad took us to where his house was and where the police were all out when I look at these billboards, um, I can't really see what area they is. I remember this on um, they have one on like Vernon. I know that area. They have one on that looks familiar. I just remember seeing the posters everywhere. And they had the pictures, they had the sketches of his face, everything. And the reason why they have sketches of his face was because one of his victims that he attempted to murder was Anitria, I believe that's her name, Anitria Washington. She got away because he shot her and then pushed her off the car, but she survived it. And so she was able to give the police a description of what he looked like. I really wish that if I ever become, you know, or become, or something, give, if I'm able to get a platform I really wish that I can give money to these victims' families because these victims' families were left for nothing. Nobody cared. He died in 2020. It's like, it's just like nobody talked about this case as much as they did. They gave Jeffrey Dahmer a whole series. They gave Jeffrey Dahmer the whole series, and they don't care to talk about how these black women were killed. These black women were killed, murdered, left, discarded in the in the alley like they were nothing. They really don't care. I really want to help out these victim families. I really, like I said, I could resonate to this situation. I lived in that area. I'm a black woman. I understand how it feels to have to do what you have to do to survive. All these things. Like, it's, it's really insane how these things were happening. I don't know. But I watched this documentary that's on YouTube. That's not the documentary that I stated previously, Tales of the Grim. There's another one. They just recently put out a, a Jeff, uh, sorry, a, 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 a special about the Grim Sleeper's friends. They just put out a special a month ago. I didn't see it till now. And I'm like, why did it not hit, like, Netflix. Why did it not hit Hulu? Why is it not getting that much speculation? Y'all do not care about black women. Like, these women were tortured. 
he really tortured her. It's another case that nobody really talks about. And he was a murderer. His name was Mari Travis. He was killing sex workers. And he was taking them home and torturing them before his death. He was a terrible person. He would laugh during his murders. He tried to taunt the police. He was trying to be like a black Zodiac killer. I don't know. Like he was, he was really doing all these things to these women and not caring. So, like, if y'all not familiar, I mentioned throughout this podcast, I mentioned Mari Travis, I mentioned um, Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. I mentioned these other serial killers who were killing at the same time as um, killing at the same time as the Grim Sleeper, who were Michael Hughes, Daniel Lee Siebert, Chester Turner, and Ivan Hill. These are the people who were killing in Los Angeles. And <clears throat> my apologies. Nobody gets black serial killers don't get that much publicity because they are killing black women. They don't care. They don't really care. And I watched this documentary and it's a new one. It's about like Lonnie Franklin Jr.'s friends and whoever experienced something sitting down and talking to him. And it's funny because a lot of women claim they dated him. And was like, he was abusive to them. So they could have interviewed a whole bunch of people. They did, at the end of the other documentary, The Tales of the Grim Sleeper, it was about like 10 women. They came at the end of the documentary was talking about the things that Lonnie Franklin Jr. would make them do. He would make them penetrate themselves with like a bottle, like a glass bottle in the in, in vaginally. He would make them shove in inanimate objects up their cells. He would make them just do all these things like to you know to to make themselves feel less he had a he definitely had a like he definitely had a humiliation kink or whatever he really wanted to torture these women and nobody cared because they're black they're monoracial they're not white they're sex workers they're living in los angeles they don't have any money they don't care. People are not caring to speak about this situation. And honestly, people should really speak about this situation. LAPD did nothing to find him at all. They, they weren't doing anything to try to help. And so, all right, let's talk about this new documentary I watched last night before. I watched it right after my second podcast episode didn't work out. And I was like, all right, I'm mad. So I watched it. And one of the friends who was in the first documentary, because they interviewed his friends, and the other one, there was another friend that was in the documentary, but he disappeared, they say. They say they haven't seen him, they don't know what happened to him. And I, a lot of conspiracies, I went to the phone call Somebody, one of the victims, Barbara Ware, rest in peace, one of the victims, Barbara Ware, she was discovered after the police got a phone call. A male called them and was like, I got a description. There's a church band. He pushed her out of the church band. And when they asked to get his name, he said, you're not getting my name. I know too many people. All right, bye-bye. He said, bye. And I'm starting to see people putting the comment that the phone caller sounds like the friend that disappeared the one that was in the first documentary, this is this friend said that he and Lonnie would 
share girls. Like, they will go to sex workers, have sex with them. And he openly admitted that some of the girls he never saw again. They say that the phone calls sound like him. And I'm like, damn, not because originally they were saying that the Grim Sleeper made that phone call. Like, but then people are like, why would a serial killer call and tell him himself? Because some serial killers like the game. So I don't know. Now do I think about it. Now they say that sounds like that friend. Now I got to go watch the first documentary and try to hear this man's voice so I can put two and two together. Now I got to now I gotta see you guys. But in the, the new documentary, the same friend who was from the first documentary, not the one that disappeared, he is just, he said it's hard for him to believe that Lonnie is the one that committed these crimes. Even though it's his DNA that was found on the victim's breast. He disputes all this because he said, he said, well, he argues that Lonnie isn't the only one that was killing these women. He said he went to every single court trial day that they had of Lonnie. He sat in there. He said he listened to everything. He said there was two separate DNAs found on some of the victims. So he believes that um, Lonnie Franklin Jr., the Grim Sleeper, had an accomplice. And I was like, that, as far as saying that using the whole DNA on them don't really make sense because they were sex workers. It could have easily been anybody's DNA from another, you know, time. Like, I don't, they could have been, you know, they could have been doing work the night of when they were, you know, this, you know, kidnapped or and killed by Lonnie. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's a good, like, reasoning. If you were saying that about sex workers, sex workers going to have other people's DNA on them, like, uh. <laughs> that's not a good but it was funny because the girl who was in the first documentary as well she was like <laughs> she was like I don't believe that and she was like if if he is a comp it's one of y'all he was like one of who one of y'all talking about his friend group and he was like are you the accomplice and he just like put his head down I'm like he know who it is if, if, if Lonnie was killing people with another person he know who it is honestly it could have been those other silkers I listed earlier like, it was a whole bunch of black men killing sex workers in that era. It's not that hard to think. And it's not that hard to think that Lonnie Franklin Jr. wouldn't do it with other people. He did a sexy assault that 17-year-old girl in Germany with two other servicemen. So it's not that far-fetched. That whole documentary, the newest one, was still a lot. It did give a lot of information. He had an in-home nanny who he beat on, who he made her do the humanizing thing, like dress up in costume. He definitely had a torture kink or whatever. But seeing how people in the documentary was like, I think they were talking about how Lonnie doesn't come off as a bad person to them. And that's like, a lot of serial killers are going to people, friends of serial killers are going to say that. They're hiding their true self. Just because they didn't come off as a bad person to you doesn't mean they aren't a bad person. It's a facade. They're lying like they're pretending to be a good person. And I understand, I can understand trying to accept the fact that they were a terrible person. You can accept they're a terrible person and then grieve the loss of that person. That's it. Like when my ex died, I still say openly he was a terrible person. Do I still agree with him? Yes, I'm agreed, but I can acknowledge that he was a terrible person. I can separate the fact that he was a terrible person. So it's hard for them. Like the lady 
was like, I think he was a good guy. He was just fucked up. No, he wasn't a good guy. He was not a good guy. He was, he, he was not a good guy. He was terrible. He was terrible. He was, he was literally torturing these people. It wasn't like he was going around like, ah, I'm gonna shoot you. And then that's it. He was sexually assaulting them. He was the, he was, you know, just disrespecting them. He was just doing all these things to these victims and tossed them out like they were just garbage, like they didn't have a family somewhere. Just because they're on the street don't mean they don't have a family. They have someone who out there who loved them, someone who cared about them. And if they didn't have a family, they still deserve respect. They still do. They were another human being. He didn't care. He tossed them out like they were nothing, like they were trash. And then even deny killing them to his death. He never, he never invented. So I'm getting a little emotional talking about it. It's just, he didn't take accountability at all. Because Jeffrey Dahmer started taking accountability. He started, not accountability, but he started admitting to his crimes at the end. John Wayne Gacy would admit it to his lawyer and then retract and say, like, the killer and him made him do it and, Ted Bundy, I'm not sure. No, Ted Bundy took it to the grave. He never confessed. In the, yeah, he never confessed. Some serial killers will confess and lead you to the body and stuff like that, but the Grim Sleeper took it to his grave, and he never confessed. And he, he still tried to say he's innocent and all these things, even though it was his DNA on the victim's chest when they died. So, and let's tell you how he got caught. Let's talk about that. Lonnie Franklin Jr. got caught because his son got arrested. His son got arrested. I can't remember what his son got arrested for, but his son got arrested, and that's how he they were able to match his DNA. Because I, when I was watching a documentary last night, they were saying that whenever you commit a felony, you have to submit your DNA. But they didn't start doing that into the late, uh, early 2000s, into the early 2000s. So when Lonnie committed those crimes of, like, theft and, like, burglary and all these different things and battery, he didn't have to submit his DNA. So that's why they didn't have him match until his son came into the picture. So his son committed a felony. He has to get his DNA up. So they came back. They was like, it's a match. So they start. they let his son go. They released his son so they can find out where his son lives. That's what they did. And here comes here also comes a situation where where they don't care about black victims also. Let me tell you. If you're not familiar with the Golden State Killer, probably look him up. His name. We gotta search up his name, y'all, because I forgot his name. The Golden State Killer got arrested in 2018, right, y'all? The reason why he got caught with the same in the same similarity as John Lonnie Franklin Jr. He got arrested because one of his relatives, what you call it, got arrested and they matched his DNA because he was killing at the same time as Lonnie Franklin Jr. He was killing in the selling the seventies and the eighties too. So he was killing around the same time as Richard Ramirez and Richard Ramirez at that time they were calling. Joseph James D'Angelo, that's his name. They were calling the Golden State Killer the the uh, Night Stalker, but they gave that name to Richard Ramirez. But they were calling the Golden State Killer the original, like calling him that. So they arrested his little old ass. He was like, 
how let me see he was in his yeah he was like 70 70 uh like 73 74 when they arrested him so now people are looking like he's too old to be going to jail like he like he ain't kill and rape 50 women like what like he killed multiple people but like he this he raped 51 women like what what are y'all talking about like and the reason why they're trying to say that they're trying to say that they're trying to throw out using genealogy and they're trying to throw it out in the in the justice system saying that it's against somebody's amendment i'm like but where was all this energy years prior the the grim sleeper was arrested in 2010 because his son got him arrested and in 2018 the golden state killer gets arrested because his relative got him arrested now y'all want to throw it out why was that not the same energy when the grim sleeper got arrested so here right here let's talk about this this because one of his lawyers tries to use that in his case to go um the grim sleeper about how that wasn't that was against his not what his lawyer but i think they just talked about it let's see hold on oh yeah it was his lawyers it says they're okay no this is what happened they didn't yeah yeah my bad they did they tried to say it was against his amendment. On January 7, Los Angeles Superior Court, Kathleen Kennedy dismisses uh, Species and Ridiculous One argument from the alleged grim sleeper Lonnie Franklin Jr. According to Franklin's lawyer, the police violated his Fourth Amendment right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures when they surfaced, when they required, when they acquired and analyzed DNA that he left on his plate and utensils at a restaurant. Because what happened, the reason why they got his DNA, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I, I mixed that up. So I said his son got arrested and they matched his DNA to one of the victim's breasts. Lonnie Franklin, we're talking about Lonnie Franklin Jr. But in order to make sure that Lonnie was the actual killer to get the DNA, one of the, they said they were following Lonnie Franklin Jr. And he was like on Western trying to talk to the sex workers, but they didn't want him to pick up one of the girls and murder someone again. So what they did was they followed him to Anaheim to a, a pizza party, Chuck E. Cheese, and one of the police the po- police officers dressed up as an undercover like Buster, and they took the pizza that Lonnie Franken Jr. ate off of and then swabbed the DNA and it came back as a match. So the match that his son had to that DNA that they had on the uh, on the victim's breast, and then now it matched. Lonnie Franklin's DNA from that piece of Matt all together. So they was like, he is the killer. Once they got that okay, they went out there and arrested him. And that was the day I was outside with my dad. My dad, serial killer in the hood. Serial killer in the hood. Like, that's the same thing that they're trying to use as well in rap music. You know how a lot of people or a lot of rappers are getting arrested for their rap lyrics? They're trying to throw that out as well, saying that violates their amendment as well. Also, it says right here, it was saying, if a customer does not speak up, how can he have said to have a protected property in his plate? An interest that might trigger the Fourth Amendment protection under United States versus Jones, 132, Section 945, 2012. If a, if more, if a failure to allow a restaurant patron time to eat, all he wants is the source of the Fourth Amendment violation. Discovery. I'm trying to say. 
Okay, okay. So, however, Franklin also claimed that he had a reasonable expectation that his plates would be thrown into a pile with others, making his DNA unavailable for testing. This is precisely the argument the Supreme Court rejected in a questionable opinion in California versus Greenwood. In that case, police acquired sealed plastic bags of trash that the suspect placed on the curb for pickup. Greenwood argued that he expected the bags would be picked up, that he expected that his bags would be picked up with the other garbage in the neighborhood, preserving his privacy interest in the contents of his bag. But the majority of the court deemed this expectation unreasonable because before, because marauding dogs, the curious people might go to the bags before the, 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 the garbage truck arrives. Oh, okay. Now they're saying they said that's ridiculous. Him for Lonnie Franklin Jr. to think that his DNA would be protected because he wasn't under the impression that that was an undercover cop. <laughs> that got thrown out. He got convicted. He got sentenced to life. It didn't take them. It took them six years to finally sentence him. But <laughs> yeah, y'all. It's just growing up in LA and being known of this area. It's really crazy knowing that all these things were going on. And I was just a child, but I saw a lot. You know, I saw the sex workers. I, you know, I was close to some of the sex workers that I, like, that would be around my family. You know, one lady was a sex worker and that she was like a caretaker for my family's home. She was brutally murdered. Um, honestly, it was during that era. It was during that era of when sex workers were being murdered. So it's really crazy. It's really crazy that like I'm just not speaking out of I'm just not speaking like out of not having experience. Like these are things that I actually experienced growing up it's (laughs) it's really crazy like when I got quiet because I started thinking about it like we to this day don't know who murdered her we don't know who murdered her and she was brutally murdered on the street that I lived on I don't know my sister told me a whole different story my sister told me, I thought, my mother told me that she was strangled so bad that it was unrecognizable. But my sister said she was beheaded. I'm like, when, like, it's crazy. I don't know. It's really crazy. It's really crazy to think about these things. Like, people, I just been around a lot of murder. That's all I can say. It just, I experienced a lot of people dying in my life. And it's all been in the situations of LA. People being killed because of gang violence. Me, people being killed because of them being a sex worker. It's just a lot of things, you know. I've seen and witnessed a lot of things. I feel connected to this case because I feel like that could have been my sisters. That could have been my mother. My mother grew up on that same street as us. He grew up in the house before we was born. As a teenager, you know, her mother got murdered when she was like five. So she was raised by my grandmother on that street. 
So that could have been my mother. That could have been anybody, you know. It just, I feel connected. Like I said, I do want to honor the victims and try to make sure the victim's family get some kind of compensation out of this, you know. I I feel like they should try to sue the Department of, the, well, Los Angeles Police, because they did nothing. They did nothing while these women were getting killed. But let me go ahead and, like, read out the victim's name before I end this podcast. So I have Deborah Ronette, Ronette Jackson, Henrietta Wright, Sharon Dismoot, Dismoot, I probably pronounced that name, Thomas Steele. He was the male victim. They said he was suspected to be killed by the Grimsley. They said maybe he was a friend of the victim. I don't know. Barbara Bethune Ware, which I mentioned her earlier, rest in peace. Bernita Sparks, rest in peace. Mary Catherine Lowe, rest in peace. I don't know how to pronounce her name, LaCreature, Denise Jefferson, Inez, Elizabeth Warren, Alicia, Monique, Alexander, and Nietzsche was the one that survived. Georgia, Mae Thomas, they say that she's not considered his uh, victim, but it's suspected. I don't, I, if she was, if she was, her body was found in Sharp Park, Los Angeles, I think she might have been Michael Hughes' victim, who I spoke about earlier, because it, when I looked up his victims, when they were found, they were all found in, like, South Park, or that area. Princess was the little girl he killed. She was 15. He killed her in Inglewood, outside of his area. Rolena Morris, her ID was found in his house. Janicia Peters. All these people. They found over a thousand photos in Lonnie Franklin Jr.'s house. They found woman jewelry. They found all these things. He definitely killed more than the people that he was convicted of. He killed a lot of women in his life. And it's crazy that these women won't get justice. Like I said, he most of those bodies are probably in the you know, landline, landmine that he worked at that trash company, so and they don't care to look they don't care to look up the remains. They just I wish they would at least try to honor the victims and try to give them some kind of memorance, you know, or something, you know. But I'm gonna go ahead and end this podcast, you guys. We're are gonna talk about a lot of things. My next podcast should be soon. I hope that you guys are continuing to listen. Please, please continue to support. I really just want to talk about things and, you know, build up and be more consistent with my content. Thank you so much. Have a good day.